Number two, it's one of my favorite uh, catechisms and contains one of my favorite confessions of faith. Now, catechisms that it's kind of, you know, when people hear catechism, they, they immediately think like it's a Catholic thing. And, uh, and you know, it's, it's not necessarily true. Catholics do catechisms. But catechism is, is simply, uh, you know, an organized, organized list of confessions of faith. That's, that's all catechisms are. It's actually spelled catechism, but we'll call it catechism. Um, and one of my favorite confessions, it is my favorite um, creedal confession is the first statement in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which is, what is the chief end of man? It's a very important question. What are we doing here? Why are we alive? What do we exist for? And they say in kind of an old-fashioned way, what is the chief end? What is the ultimate end? What is the ultimate purpose of humans? I mean, we all spend our lives trying to figure that out. We watch the world around us try to figure that out, try to, try to discover what their purpose is, what their meaning is in life. And this catechism answers it really well. So what is the chief end of man? Here's the answer. To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Uh, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. You know, as a pastor's kid, I spent most of my youth trying to convince God and other Christians that I was worthy of salvation or respect. Um, when, you're, when you grow up in church as a pastor's kid or just a, a church kid, you see people get up on a stage and everybody give their attention. You think, okay, that person must, they got something that's good. Like, I want to have that. People respect that person. And so, like, as a kid, I thought you did stuff to get to the point where people respected you or you were worthy of something. And that transitioned into my view of salvation. I thought you did things and that eventually God would just like you and maybe love you if you did not good things. And, you know, that's like a you know, an unfortunate view, but that was my little uh, human brain trying to make sense of things. And that ultimately led to my joining a missions program that would take me to mission fields that made me feel kind of like a, like a real awesome Christian. Like you think as, a, as like a, you know, a college student going to a mission field like Sudan that like, boy, they're really going to respect me now. Like, I'm going to go live in some, some heck for, for the gospel. People will really respect me. And, and sadly, my view was God will really like me then. Uh, if I, God will accept me if, if I go and do this hard thing uh, for the Lord. I figured if I, I, in my head, I figured if I went to the hardest places in the world to share the gospel, God would have to love me. And people would have to respect me. Now this view of faith came crashing down when I came to know the real Jesus. When I started really reading the scriptures, that view of Christianity was just torn apart. Um, because I came to know the real Jesus, the American version of Jesus that I had learned disappeared. 
And here's the thing. When I met the real Jesus, I started enjoying, enjoying him. I wasn't focused on trying to gain his love. I got to just enjoy him. Um, there comes a point in a marriage relationship where you stop trying to show off. And you just start enjoying the person. Um, especially when you, you know, when you're married. You know, show's over. <laughs> the it's the real deal now. The good news about the gospel is when you start to know Jesus, there's no show between you and Jesus. There's just a relationship. <coughs> And, I, and, you know, in, in that time, I came to understand what was missing in my faith. What was missing in my faith was real joy. True joy. Or you could say, enjoyment. And Paul writes a very strange command at the beginning of this um, chapter. Looking at verse 1, if you got your Bible. Philippians 3, verse 1. This is a very strange command to tell religious people. In religion, we're used to hearing, go and do this thing, sacrifice this thing, go on, you know, a pilgrimage to this place. For Muslims, you gotta, you gotta take what's called a hajj to Mecca, um, you, a pilgrimage to this, this place, Mecca. Um, for Mormons, they go and they travel to like Independence, Missouri, which is strange to me. They would pick Independence, Missouri, and then they go out to Utah, and then uh, what? James Ports, where the Garden of Eden is. Like that's really weird. Is, is James Port somewhere by there? Huh? Galton. What were they thinking? I like Galton, but it's not the Garden of Eden. Uh, like there's these commands. My wife is on pilgrimage to uh, Waco, Texas, right now, to Magnolia. She's, she's gone to the evangelical white lady Mecca. Um, she's going to give me so much business for saying that. But. So like, in these religions, you got to go to this place and do this thing. Or you got to do this thing all your life. And then you're going to stand before God and hopefully you've done enough. That's, that's how religion works. Do a thing, and maybe you're good. But then Paul says this weird thing to religious people. says, finally, my brother, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble for me. To me, it is safe for you. Like I said, in the world of religion, this is a strange command from the Apostle Paul. Like, religious people are used to do this thing, go to this place, sacrifice this, but Paul says, rejoice. Now this word, I'm not going to try to pronounce it in the Greek, this word rejoice means to have joy, to thrive, to be glad, in the, to be satisfied. And you know, however it's translated, the, the word rejoice, it means enjoy. Be happy. 
Paul goes on to say, it's no trouble for me to repeat myself. Later on in Philippians, he's going to say this again. Rejoice in the Lord. How often do you go to church or hear someone preach on the TV or on YouTube or whatever, and you hear people command, be happy in the Lord. What a wonderful thing we believe where one of the commands is, be happy. Now, it's not a command to get over our feelings, but it's an invitation that you can, in Christ, through the gospel, be happy in what we believe. Because there are seasons in life we just cannot find joy, where we feel like our soul is in a wet paper bag and there is no enjoyment to be had. But the promise of Jesus on the cross is that at some point we can have joy and be happy. You know, just like I didn't know part of being a Christian was enjoying God, there were a lot in the first century that would have been hearing this, whose work, whose, they, they, they spent a lot of time trying to rob people of the ability to enjoy the Lord by, by making the faith um, into like a refreshed version of Judaism. Like they just totally robbed you know, all the enjoyment out of it. And there's a lot of religious people like that, where, you know, they see Christians enjoying life together, and they're like, yeah, but you gotta, you know, hey, I'm glad you're enjoying Jesus, but you need to stop doing this. There's people that exist like that. I have a tendency to sometimes be like that towards myself, and, and honestly, like, I gotta repent of that at times, and even today, like, just thinking through this command that we are to enjoy the Lord is hard for me because I grew up with this religious mindset. It wasn't, like, taught to me by my dad to be religious, but, like, naturally for humans, you think you've got to earn stuff. you got to give, and then you might get. Like, that's how it works, but I just didn't understand grace. The good news of the gospel is that this has been given to us, not by our own works, but by the work of Jesus on the cross. And that because of what Jesus has done, we get to just enjoy God. Not earn Him. We just have Him. Like I said, strange command. Your job is to enjoy. Paul goes on to warn about people who would rob you of joy. Verse 2 says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. These are the people that are going to rob people of their enjoying Christ. They're going to rob them of the, um, the happiness that they can have in the faith. Like I said, the joy, they, the pleasure and satisfaction. These evil doers were people who were like if they they would they would find their confidence in works of the flesh. These people made works the first priority in religion. You know, Paul calls these people dogs here, right? And in the first century, in a Middle Eastern culture, you don't call someone dog. 
That's, that's bad. In Sudan, you didn't, like, when I was in college and in Sudan, you didn't call anybody your dog. Like, you know, college guys say, you know, what's up, dog? You know, like that kind of thing. You don't say that there because dog is an insult because dogs are just basically glorified rats that run around. Like, people don't keep dogs as pets in Middle Eastern culture. So for Paul to say, watch out for the dogs, it, he means to say something very strong. Because these people, these evildoers, what Paul calls dogs, they're distracting the Philippian church from the good work and the good joy that they can have in Christ. They are bothered by people enjoying their faith. So he calls them, frankly, a bad word, because what they were doing was bad. He says, watch out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Now, these people would have been considered extremely religious, like, you know, superhero religious people, like people to put on a pedestal and listen to and respect and obey and that kind of thing. And Paul calls them dogs. He calls them, like, thieves of joy because they were distracting people from the gospel the good news that Jesus did the work to reconcile us to himself <clears throat> through commanding works. And one of the works that he was commanding, what, that they were commanding was circumcision, which we're not going to get into it, but circumcision was commanded by God. It was, it was one of the ways that Israel differentiated itself from the rest of the world. They, the, the men were circumcised on the eighth day. Now the first thing, the, the, the boys were circumcised on the eighth day. So for an Israelite, that was a big thing. That was a very important thing. It was a, it was a thing of pride. It was, it was a, a, a good day, an exciting day. But Paul calls this good thing that, that God had commanded. It was a good thing. He calls it mutilation. It's no longer an act of righteousness. Paul says, you just cut yourself. You know, again, it was an incredibly special indicator of who was an Israelite and who wasn't. Stated even better, it was a designation of who belonged to God and who didn't. But Jesus came, established a new covenant, established a new commandment. He fulfilled the law. And so now the law is to love God, enjoy God, serve God, be in relationship with God through Jesus. It's not about what you do anymore. And so these people that come and say, yeah, but you got to, yeah, but you got to, yeah, sure, we believe in Jesus. We, you know, we believe, you know, John 3.16, whoever, you know, for God's loved the world, he gave his only son, that whosoever, and then they filled that whosoever with what they wanted. God so loved the world, he sent his son. Whoever is circumcised can have eternal life. 
We, we do this at our house with Harper. God's love the world. He sent his son that whoever's a pastor's kid can have eternal life. And she says, no, that's not how it goes, Dad. It's whoever believes. It's not uncommon for us to fill in the blank of believe with feel something in worship or go on a mission trip or tithe or be a deacon, be a pastor, be a missionary. Sometimes we accidentally fill in that believe. We put we blank it. We, we put our thoughts in there for, for this situation that was uh, whosoever is circumcised, whoever fulfills the law and the prophets, whoever, whoever is again underneath the law of the Old Testament. Paul speaks strongly against that because it, it undermines the work of Jesus and how dare anybody undermine the work of Jesus. Too often, we settle for good feelings or our own success. Way too often, we just like We'll feel successful because of something earthly. Or we will we'll, we'll like taste satisfaction and, and be good with it. Like, oh yeah, that's good. Like, you know, for instance, last Sunday we had 70 cars at our Easter service downtown, which we approximated to be about 170 people at our Easter service. While this is a wonderful thing, even a good thing, like a blessing. There's a, a temptation to get like this high feeling from something like that. Where we can feel like, oh yeah, we had this many people at our Easter service. Or, Look how many people we had. Look how successful we were. 170 people isn't the good news. Seventy people is it the gospel? Was it fun? Heck yeah. Was it a blessing? You bet it was. But our satisfaction in this life, our joy in this life, cannot be wrapped up in things like that. It, it should not be wrapped up in things that make us feel successful in the in the meantime. Paul gives this command on purpose because anything less of rejoice in the Lord, enjoy the Lord, be satisfied in the Lord would, would be a waste. It would be robbing you of ultimate and true and, and, and eternal satisfaction. Paul goes on to give this like little uh, testimony or his own like Jewish resume in verses 4 through 6. He says, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, reason to be saved by the flesh, I have more. Verse 5. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. For a Jewish kid, this is the pinnacle. Like, he's got the resume of resumes. For, like, Billy Graham couldn't touch this.
Paul says these things are merely a distraction from what he had access to through Christ. He says in verse 7, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because, listen, he counts everything as loss. So let's, let's glean something here. Count everything as, as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Do you hear good news there? He throws everything away. Everything can go away as far as he's concerned because he can have total satisfaction through knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Nothing can compare and compete with the reality and the good news that you can know God. You can know Jesus. You can have a relationship with Him. You don't have to live by rules and regulations and be perfect. And you can know your Creator. Is this... Y'all hear what I just said? Come on, somebody. You, a sinner who does not deserve heaven, can know your Creator and be reconciled with Him forever. Thank you. Listen, this isn't me. Don't amen me. I got nothing worth amening. All I am is a pastor's kid who's been redeemed by the same gospel you have access to. The good news that we have here is that we don't have to be perfect, religious, sinless, fill-in-the-blank, you know, Christian-y kind of people, and we can't know God. Now, the question is, what do we got that we think compares with that? We get so stinking wrapped up in stuff in this life. We rob ourselves. We're so daggone addicted to sin and self-gratification that we rob ourselves of getting to rejoice in the Lord and know and savor God. We wake up in the morning and we just about sprint to the news, or social media, or whatever. And when we have time to ourselves, just as fast as we can get to that alcohol, or just as fast as we can get to watch whatever show on Netflix or Discovery Plus or Disney, like whatever we can get to just like satisfy ourselves, we are robbing ourselves of eternal pleasure when we think the things of this world can give us any kind of satisfaction. Spend so much of our time trying to gain the whole world that we might be forfeiting our souls. Jesus settled this issue long before Paul picked up a pen or dictated anything in Mark 8, 36, 38. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For who can, 
Who can, what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. You see, when we try to find satisfaction through stuff, through the world, we're just going to find ourselves more unsatisfied. When we try to find satisfaction through the approval of our peers, we're just going to need more of it. If we try to find satisfaction in money, we're just going to need more of it. If we're going to find satisfaction in stuff, we're just going to need more of it. I know all about this. Like, I am just inclined and wired to collect junk. Like I said, I like old stuff. If I find old stuff, I just want to have it so that I can have it. Like, I just, I get wrapped up in, like, gaining junk. And Katrina is not that way. It drives her nuts. Like, we all do this, though. If we could just have a nicer house. If we could just have more approval. If we can just have a golf cart that's better than our neighbor's golf cart or a newer tractor. If we can just have these things, then people will respect us and, and we'll have everything that we ever wanted and we'll make dad proud and, and we'll make the, the community think that we ought to be awesome or something. Like we seek after this stuff and we rob ourselves of eternal things. Paul commands, the Philippians commands us, Rejoice in the Lord. Find your joy in the Lord. Find your completeness, your pleasure in the Lord. You know why Paul commands this? You know why God commands this? Because he loves you. He knows what's best for you. If God were to command you to do anything less than enjoy Him, He would not be good. He wouldn't. He would be made up. He'd be a fake God. This is why this catechism, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That is such good news. It's not your job to be perfect. It's not your job to have all your ducks in a row. All you gotta do is enjoy God. Enjoy Him. And if you don't enjoy Him yet, one of two things is going on. One, you may not really truly understand the good news of the gospel. It's okay. We'll get there. Don't give up. Keep going. Number two, you're still on this path of being satisfied by the junk in the world. You're still on this trying to fill your soul with stuff in the world or relationships with people. It's not going to satisfy you. Listen to me. That's not going to satisfy you. The newer thing, the bigger, better thing, the more money, the, the whatever, 
not going to satisfy you. The bigger church is not going to satisfy me. Like there's nothing that's going to satisfy you. This is why Paul goes on to write in verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth, unending worth, the continual worth, the forever eternal worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, from works here, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him. This is what Paul's after. Personally, he's like giving a, here's where I'm at, y'all. All Paul wants is to know Jesus better. That's all he's after. Personally. Just wants to know Jesus better. I want to encourage you all. Whatever it is, you, whatever season of life you're in, that I'm going to guarantee you something. I'll make you a promise. If you seek to know Jesus a little bit better, you're going to be blessed and have more joy. Now, here's what I don't mean in this. I don't necessarily mean that you get some sort of religious high. Here's what I do mean. Like, if you seek to know Jesus better, practical ways, study his life, study what it was like for him to be living in the first century, what it would have been like for him to be a carpenter, what it would have been like for him to travel with a bunch of teenage Jewish kids. Just to know the real Jesus, to know him in his life, to know him in his ministry, to know stuff about like him and, and where he's from and what he was devoted. Knowing that kind of stuff, it'll, you'll be blessed. Do a little research. Hop on the old YouTube and see what it looked like in Nazareth. See what it looked like in Bethlehem. See what Jesus' life was like in the first century. You'll be blessed. And then, read just the words of Jesus. You'll be blessed. You'll enjoy it. Well, here's what I'm doing this morning. I'm going to give you freedom from religion. Your job this week, listen up, your job this week, do something to know Jesus better. Free yourself from the, I gotta read so much of this, or I gotta read this new Christian book, or I gotta, you know, read so many chapters of this and that. I want you this week to pick up your Bible or to get on, you know, you've gotta be careful about what we find on the internet. Because they'll tell you some nonsense, right, Norma? Yeah. Norma's back there laughing, so I know she knows what I'm talking about. I just want you to spend some time getting to know Jesus better. Just gain some knowledge. Just gain some knowledge of Him. We'll, we'll, we'll pretend like, you know, you're trying to figure out Jesus' personality thing. Right? Everybody filled out one of those personality or strengths finder or love languages thing. We're going to do that on Jesus this week where we just spend some time getting to know him better. Read his words. See what it would have been like to live in the first century. Just whatever you can find to know Jesus. This is what Paul was after. And this is my command to you as, 
as your pastor, I just want you to enjoy our Lord. The message this morning is simple. Love God, enjoy Him. Don't try to be perfect. Try to know Him who is perfect. And let His perfection and righteousness be enough that you can just enjoy Him and enjoy His righteousness. Ask Rita to come and this and close the song for Steve. There are a lot of distractions, y'all. A lot of things in this world that are going to rob, you know, that could rob us of enjoying our Lord and our Savior. Sometimes it could even be religious stuff. But we're not called to a religion. We are called to a reconciled relationship with our God. We're not called to new laws or whatever. We're called to a reconciled relationship with our Creator. And so, let's devote ourselves to that relationship, right? That relationship gives life. That relationship blesses us. That relationship is going to settle your soul of all your anxieties and all of your fears in this life. It's going to settle all your desires for you. It's going to settle all the things that leave you unsatisfied. It's going to settle all the things that leave you confused and afraid just to know Jesus. So, I'm going to invite you this morning. Would you stand? Um, we're going to spend some time responding to this message. Um, if you need to do so in your, in your seat, if you just need to kneel where you're at, if you need to come and kneel at the altar and pray, if you'd like me to come or you'd like to come to me and me pray with you, you just need to confess some stuff or. Um, if you need to respond and, and ask, you know, that if you want to give your life to the Lord Jesus, like, now's the time to respond. Um, and so, I'm going to pray, and then uh, we're going to sing together. And as we sing, you're welcome to respond in whatever way that the Lord is leading you, okay? Lord Jesus, thank you so much for calling us out of darkness and into light so that we can have a relationship that is life-giving, that is a blessing, and that satisfies. Thank you, Lord, for this good news that you have done the work so that we can enjoy you forever. Bless us, Lord, with hearts to seek you, to be obedient to your words, that we can glorify you and enjoy you forever. I love you, Lord Jesus. Move us in our convictions to obedience.